Hello, this is The Game Podcast from The Times and I'm Natalie Sawyer. Gregor Robertson is having a deserved few days off, but do not worry, we have very suitable replacements. I'm very delighted to say we have Tom Roddy and Henry Winter joining us for this latest pod. Tom and Henry, great to have you on board. Uh, Henry, what have you been up to and, and how have you found life under these unusual circumstances? Hi, Nat. Hi, Tom. Um, well, I've caught up on some sleep. Uh, I've met the family, um, who, seem, who seem really nice. I mean, I spent my—I've spent the last thirty-five years on the road, so uh, um, I think they're the ones who wanted to get rid of me. Um, the, the kids are very much pushing Project Restart. Um, I think it's just been—I mean, my admiration for the people in the office at the Times has just gone even more through the roof. How they've managed to sort of juggle doing everything, coordinating with people, all from their kitchen tables while homeschooling and you know just 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 living with a lockdown but um yeah it's quite a um it's been it's been a fascinating period i mean it's 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 one of those it kind of shows the power of the times in a way in that i've had a lot of people come on and say we'd like to do pieces with the times because of the community schemes they're involved in or this is agents and players and managers as well Mm. i'm sure tom's the same we probably get about three or four calls a day from people offering up you know a a chat with a player or themselves or coaches or clubs or whatever so i think it's been it's been fascinating but but obviously i mean it's a complete shock to uh to, to football a sobering up mm. period with all the financial problems and also a realization for football that it it can't exist in a bubble and there are more significant important things out there um and the, the people that we tend to put on a pedestal as, as sports journalists i.e footballers i think the people who are going to be put on pedestals now in society are going to be nurses and key workers and doctors Yes, absolutely. We can only hope for that, that's for sure. Um, Tom, obviously, Henry was there saying that, you know, he's busy, he's getting lots of calls from many different people wanting to, to work with the Times. How, how are you finding it? Are you just as busy or if not more as a result of what's going on? Probably more busy, really, but just in, in different in different ways, really. I think uh, I, I found personally the first first uh, two or three weeks were, were, were sort of adjusting um, trying to work out how we were going to go from there without any sport to cover um but i've I've actually i've enjoyed the work you know the the retro pieces we've done um dipping into kind of other sports and and the stories that we found and that i've read my colleagues writing have been have been brilliant anyone of either of you learned any new skills by the way during this lockdown or not have the time my skills have probably uh, probably diminished in the, the any that I had, have probably diminished in this time. But the one <laughs> I've I've actually I've, I'd never thought I'd say this, but I've actually been doing some gardening, um, and it, it doesn't quite substitute the feeling of watching a, a football match. But um, my, uh, when my osteopernum flowered, uh, it, it did replace it a little bit. The thrill. <laughs> and how about you, Henry? Any new skills? Uh, well, I've never been a big fan of sleep. And I've always, throughout the football season, for sort of 10 months of the season, I've always been fine. Look, four to five and a half hours been absolutely fine. But actually, I've been, doing, but I've, been doing, I've been doing six, seven hours. I'm feeling a little bit guilty with it. So you've never been a big fan of sleep? Oh, my goodness. I live no, to sleep. 
I'm a fan of sleep, but but not oversleeping. I mean, I think, right. for, you know, if you've got a busy... I mean, Tom will know this. If you've got a busy Champions League week, you're bouncing around all over the place. You might have three hours kip after a game, and then you've got an early flight back. You might have an hour's kip on the plane, and then you're on to the next match, and there's a mm. certain rhythm. And you might have a kip in a service station or in a, you know, Anfield or Old Trafford car park before the game. But it's, yeah, sort of four and a half, five hours is is, is ample. But honestly, oh I, I think gosh. I had seven seven hours the other night. And I'm going, this is just such a waste of time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Seven hours to me doesn't sound like enough, but each to their own. Coming up, we're going to look back on some famous on this days in Premier League history. Leicester fans, you won't want to miss that one. And it's time for episode three of Unpopular Football Opinion. All that to come after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, let's get the very latest then on the Premier League's project restart. The back page of the Times today reads, chance to watch every game on TV. Fans may be able to watch almost all 200 remaining matches in the Premier League and the Championship live with scheduling officials and broadcast partners looking to give as many fixtures as possible a slot. This all, of course, depends on government permission for football to resume, but we could see three or four Premier League and Championship games screened every day on TV until the end of July. So, Henry, if fans can't attend games, do we think the best solution then is to stagger kickoff times? Well, it's been quite interesting looking at it because when the, the lockdown started um, and the pandemic really sort of kicked in, government was almost putting the boots into footballers saying you're not doing enough. And now I get the impression that Downing Street is using football to sort of almost control the, the easing out of this lockdown period. And okay, so the games are at neutral venues. The uh, they're all behind closed doors. But I get the impression that government is almost encouraging uh, football to have all these games scattered across the day, different uh, kickoff times, so that the moment we assume on Sunday that the prime minister does announce an easing of lockdown, that everyone doesn't sprint out in the streets, that loads of people will still be watching games. Obviously, that's going to be another sort of couple of probably the middle of June until the games start coming on again. But I think it's just part of this. You cannot look at what's happening in football without also look at what's happening in Downing Street. Yeah. I mean, Tom, it's being billed as a feast of football. So do you think it's something that we need? It's a dream for an armchair fan, really, isn't it? Absolute dream. Uh, Super Sunday every single day. Um, I think, as as Matt's report said about this, you know, is um, 
it's received government backing because of, as, as Henry said, because they don't want people to, to, to be out and about as much as possible. But, but also there was a nod to the fact they don't want fans congregating outside grounds, outside neutral venues. And I, I'm not entirely convinced that would be the case because technology, it, it, it wouldn't stop it anyway, because technology today allows you to stand outside the London Stadium or the Amex or Old Trafford and watch a game on your smartphone. Um, but then I'm, I'm also not convinced that flat fans would flock to grounds. I mean, the, the, the concern is there because of what we saw at, with PSG at the beginning of March before lockdown came when the masses of fans were outside the ground. But we're way further down the line from that now. We're way more educated about coronavirus, the dangers involved and and the need for social distancing. So I don't think that's as much of a concern. Um, I think what will will be interesting is how the broadcasters actually present these games, how they'll make them appealing um, to, to, to fans at home to enhance the, the atmosphere without a crowd there. And, and there are lots of possibilities being explored there um, with apps and, and CGI fans and, and that'll really be quite interesting to see how they do it. Mm. We know obviously they're going to have to take all the necessary medical testing uh, that has to be put in place to ensure that all the footballers are, are, are well enough and, and are negative when it comes to the virus uh, in able to play these games but Henry I sort of wondered do you know uh, or what would you think footballers would think about these staggered kickoff times would they be happy with it i think their thoughts would be more about health issues rather than timing yes. issues i think there's a, an acceptance that you know and, and the footballers that i've talked to you know there's a frustration that's going to be behind closed doors but they accept that they accept the uh, you know the financial imperatives uh, for broadcast and for clubs and it obviously kicks into their their wages so that they understand that i get the impression when i talk to one or two players that actually the issue is more uh, less about them, but more the fact that they might be living with an LD relative. They might have someone who's in the, an, a, a brother or sister or close relative who's in the same building as them, who is in an at-risk category. So th- I think those are the, the concerns, which I think will be articulated increasingly as, as the time draws near when players do go back to training, particularly contact training, and then to matches itself. So the, the, uh, the, the, the players are central to us. Obviously, everything comes down to money and health. Everyone understands that. But the players are right in the middle of that. And I think the clubs still have a little bit of persuading to do with, uh, with players to convince them completely. Mm. Well, one of the big talking points from Project Restart is the use of neutral venues with eight to ten stadiums deemed to be the best equipped to host sterile matches. Now, Henry, I know you've been speaking to the Aston Villa Chief Executive, Christian Perslow, about this, with Villa, of course, in the precarious position of 19th place, but crucially with a game in hand that if they won, would actually take them out of the relegation zone. Villa's seven wins this season, five of them have come at home. They have ten games left, six of them are scheduled for Villa Park. So I suppose, Henry, you can't blame Christian Perslow for being against the idea of neutral venues. You you can't. I mean, you, you know, he's he, he's thinking of the whole end in 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 in, yes. in full cry. Obviously, there are going to be no fans in the ground, but there is still that sort of emotional element of um, of having of being at Villa Park. The familiarity for the players. You know, if any of them were on edge before a game, they know the route in when they park in that tight car park there with the big fences. The familiar face of the security man there who waves them in walking through it's it's familiar it's home to them and that and they don't want to lose that edge um but 
I think this is driven less by um, less by the clubs, certainly not by the clubs, but actually more by the uh, by the police. I think the police want to move, say, a potential for Liverpool celebrating a title at Anfield. They want to yes. move that well away from there. Yeah, so it's a safety aspect from the police uh, wanting these neutral venues involved. And he also talks about the right formula needed to get this season finished. And I'm guessing, Tom, that formula won't be perfect. Not every club is, is going to be happy, necessarily, with what is finally decided. No, no, I don't I don't believe so. And and I think it's, it's, it's actually really great to hear um, Burslow talking. And I think Villa have been good. Brighton have been great as well. We've heard from Paul Barber, Dan Ashworth. Graham Potter and and, and Glenn Murray um, and, and Barber was actually especially interesting on the topic of neutral venues on on Monday. And he, he's you know plenty of people have been talking about what does the difference make actually of home advantage without uh, with an empty stadium when your fans aren't there. Um, and, and and Barber went into the fact you know you've uh, with Brighton in particular they've got their training pitches are replicated to the Amex pitch um the the changing room is exactly the same as the amex changing room it's all done for for small margins and of course they've already played uh man city away from home so so they want to have that advantage for for the for the for their home leg um so they may be small but there are advantages there and and when when you've got the jeopardy of of going down, of being relegated, and, and and we, you know, we see what Brighton and those other clubs are different to Sunderland, but we see what happened with Sunderland. Um, it's a trap you really don't want to fall into. Mm. So, Henry, when the Premier League have their meeting on Monday, where they're going to be discussing what's going to be happening next, I, uh, we're not going to have a unanimous decision on this, are we? No chance. It's it's looking very divided. <laughs> um, I mean, it's interesting this whole debate about behind closed doors. Um, but I think a bigger bigger issue going into it is going to be weakened teams because I think there will be some players inevitably will test positive. They'll have to go into self-isolation. They, there might be one or two of their teammates, obviously people they've come into contact with. I think you're going to see weakened teams there. I also think once one or two of the sort of major issues in the table have decided, particularly Liverpool getting the two wins for the title, I would be surprised if Jurgen Klopp plays a full-strength team for his remaining matches once the title is sorted out. I think he'll say to some of his stars, listen, just go and have a break, particularly the lockdown's been eased enough that people can actually, you know, have a, have a sort of proper... Ho- I mean, they've been talking about players having a holiday, whereas, obviously, you know, the last two months they've not actually been doing anything. So, I, personally, I think that's going to be far more of, a, of an issue, uh, a live issue when it, when it comes in. You're going to have... It's almost going to be like a League Cup night with, uh, with weakened teams out there. Mm. It's interesting you mentioned, though, about weakened teams. If players do contract the virus, that's something that, that Christian Perzo has spoken about as well. He says if Villa had to play a match without Grealish, Mings and McGinn, the chances of winning that game would decrease enormously. I'd obviously like a rule that says we don't have to play if our best players had COVID. Is that a, a rule that you think could really work Henry well I think if if his best players have got uh, covered I think that's that's it they're they're isolating at home and um, Dean Smith is going to have to sort of work with the rest of the 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 squad that he's got I think they're going to have to expand the squads I think they'll have to be more sort of under 23s in there particularly as they're going to be playing games in a slightly more intense period but uh, no I just think that look they are so keen to get these games played 
There's the, the UEFA deadline looking at them. There's BT and Sky. So I, I think it look, it's going to be a pretty long and probably fairly spiky meeting with, with teams at the bottom. Tom, it's really interesting about players possibly testing positive for the virus that they would want a game called off. But that really is only going to well, have the season ongoing more and more. And the whole aim of this is to try and condense it all down to get it finished as soon as it is possible, surely. Yeah, completely. Um, you know, who's who qualifies as their best players? How many players do you get? And who, who decides it? Um, what if, you know, Villa choose Grealish, Mings and, and McGinn, as, as Perslow mentions, but all of, all of Villa's goalkeepers are su- suddenly sick? Um, but I do think, you know, I think this is going to be, this is actually going to be the, 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 the next big issue, because if we're talking about small margins um, with neutral venues, then the, the possibility of, of losing those key players a huge um, disadvantages for, for a team. Um, the, but the truth of it is it, it only really needs on Monday for those 14 teams to agree um, to go ahead and I feel like it seems increasingly likely that, that that will happen, that they'll get the support and then it doesn't doesn't particularly matter what what, what people do do want or the rules they request as it goes through. A final thought on this one then, Henry. How close do you think we are to having a plan in place for the return of football? Oh, well, I mean all the indications um stories breaking in the last sort of half hour is that Johnson's gonna signal three more weeks of lockdown. Obviously there'll be slight loosening of it on the, uh, on on exercise, um, look, he wants to get business back on its feet, but you can't hurry something like this. You know, we've got to wait until you know the, the amazing people in the NHS win their fight, and with the character and expertise they've got, they will win it. But it's it's not something football cannot go at its usual breakneck pace. It has to be guided by the medical experts, and I've always said this from the very start: football cannot live inside its own bubble it's got to sort of move to the rhythm of others in this case and that is medical science a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Now, I don't know if you knew this, but the 7th of May has been an interesting date in recent football history. The 7th of May, 2006, for example, Lasagna Gate at Upton Park as Tottenham lost 2-1 to West Ham to miss out on Champions League football. I'm sure we all remember it, but Spurs blamed a dodgy lasagna, which gave them food poisoning, they say, to their players. And their boss, Martin Yol, was furious at their game was forced to go ahead. Whilst over in North London, Thierry Henry scored a hat-trick against Wigan to pinch fourth spot off Spurs in the Gunners' final game at Highbury. Fast forward to just last year, the 7th of May 2019, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool conjured one of football's greatest ever comebacks to book their place in the Champions League final after sensationally overturning the 3-0 first leg deficit against Barcelona. But that's not the 7th of May we're most interested in today. We're focusing on the 7th of May 2016. Yes, it's four years to the day since Leicester City completed their fairy tale story and lifted the Premier League trophy at the King Palace. Stadium. Leicester marked the occasion with a 3-1 win over Everton before celebrations erupted on the pitch with unforgettable scenes of the trophy lift serenaded by the opera star Andrea Bocelli, of all people. So let's revisit that unforgettable season. And I'll come to you, Tom, first. When you look back on it, at what point did you start to believe Leicester were going to do this? Uh, to be honest I'm I'm still in shock um (laughs) with it all but probably probably the the win at the Etihad um I'd say which was early February um you know being I I know it's not the the team of now um and it's not the manager of now but uh, with City but but to be three nil up after an hour um, they they'd beaten Liverpool the week before and, and Tottenham a few weeks earlier, and of course uh, that game put them five points clear, um, and and City had started it in second behind them. So that that was probably the moment. Although, uh, as I say, uh, probably up until um, Wes Morgan's lifting the trophy, I probably still didn't believe it. Yeah, I mean it was it was a tremendous season, Henry, and I think we all have such fond memories of it. At what point did it turn from could they to they will for you? Oh, I still think standing in the tunnel before kickoff, I went and did something for Leicester TV um, before the kickoff of the, of the celebration match, and still in there, just watching the players running out with huge smiles on their faces. I, I was still in disbelief. I mean, they were they were celebrating. I think possibly it sank in just the extraordinary nature of what they've done. When you see a world superstar like Andrew Bocelli on stage singing so beautifully like that, um, and how much it meant for Claudio Ranieri. I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. So it was, you know, that was an emotional occasion. But I would probably say then, only then, actually watching the players with a smile on their faces. Obviously, we still remember the images of them celebrating in, in Jamie Vardy's kitchen. Um, so I still think then, but I agree with Tom. I mean, it's still looking back on it when, when people have done all these retro pieces. I mean, I still find it incredible what they did. And Tom, you listed off some of the, the great victories. Is there one that particularly stands out as a as a, a key moment? There was, you know, the teams they beat that year. They they, they beat Chelsea, City, Spurs. Uh, I mean, that, I, I remember that Chelsea Chelsea game was when uh, Mourinho was on the way out. I think it was the one before Mourinho's last game. So it wasn't hugely um, surprising. Um but but Spurs and and I, I I go back to that City game to be honest yes, um, yeah. as the standout one because to do that at the Etihad um, and the context of those games around it I think that was that was the standout moment. Yeah, and Henry, obviously you mentioned Claudio Ranieri there. He was lifting the trophy come the seventh of May 
2016. How much credit does he deserve in, in leading Leicester to the title? I mean, a fair amount of credit, but I think this is very much one, the power and the force of that dressing room, the spine of the team. And you look at people like Kasper Schmeichel and Wes Morgan going through to, to Jamie Vardy at the front. You know, they're really strong individuals in that team. And you still see it now when you see some of them gathered together. There's a real close bond in there. And these are not just really good footballers, very good at their jobs. These are really bright driven individuals and don't underestimate Jamie Vardy's just almost the way he shaped that team and how Drinkwater would play those balls. Look, Ranieri was brilliant in terms of dealing with the media, taking the pressure off the team, keeping everything calm, everything with Dilly Ding, Dilly Dong and all that. And it was all, and it was all nice and this slightly homespun thing and no, it can't happen and whatever. Um, but, you know, obviously, look, he's Italian. He knows how to organise a team, make them defensively strong. And yes, he did all that. But I, I say this is as much a triumph for Ranieri, one of the nicest men you can meet in, in the world, let alone football. I think this was a triumph for the dressing room for strong players. And what about Nigel Pearson? Does he deserve any praise as well? I know Nigel well. And I mean, it was, you know, the work that he did, the great escape, a lot of the team that he put together. I thought it was very good to hear in this, the celebrations, the players praised the work that Nigel Pierce had done. In, but yeah, absolutely. Oh, Nigel Pearson definitely deserves praise. Henry's listed there some of the players involved in that season, Tom. Who do you think was their most influential? God, I think that's that's one of the hardest questions probably to answer. <laughs> I don't think there I don't think there were. Um, I don't think it would have happened without each of the key sort of protagonists. I mean, you've got Kante, and you see what he's he's gone on to do, and, and what a bargain he was. But what he's gone on to do, and how important he was for the for Chelsea's team under Antonio Conte the following year. Um, I mean that. Uh, shows shows how important he was, and then you've got this, the style that Leicester played with counter-attacking football. I mean, could they have done that without Jamie Vardy? Um, I don't think so. And and then the leadership. I think Wes Morgan sometimes gets a little bit forgotten about um, because of the way Kante, Vardy, Mares, all those players are, are still around. Um, but Wes Morgan's leadership was so key. But I think if I if I was to have to pick one, it probably would be would be Mares. Um, I think he linked everything up. Um, no one could handle him that year either. You think of players like Iron Robin, where they're they're, they're you know how they're going to play. You know he's going to be on his left foot, but there was nothing they could do about it. <laughs> um, and there's no, it was no surprise that he won PFA Player of the Year that year. Yeah, it, it was a collective effort, obviously for, for Leicester. But who stood out for you, Henry? Do you know what? I would actually say it was one particular trait that stood out for me. If I think of them, the players in the Leicester City dressing room that won the title, I'd actually think of their humour. I mean, they're really funny guys. You talk yeah. to Casper Schmeichel, you've, you've talked to Casper. He's a really funny, amusing, entertaining guy. Robert Huth, Danny Simpson, Fuchs, Jamie Vardy. There were some real characters in that dressing room. You've got Wes Morgan as well. And you could just see that there were just a, almost a sort of brotherhood. There was humour there. They enjoyed each other's company. You saw it when they went on that uh, Christmas fancy dress or and they were dressing up as Ninja Turtles and things like that. And it was kind of, you know, they were just a, a bunch of sort of footballing students in a way, just sort of happy and, you know, they, obviously winners, competitive edge, technical, tactical, they had all that. But I think there was also, if I, if I think of the quality that I most associate with that Leicester City dressing room is they liked to laugh and they enjoyed each other's company. Mm. 
Yeah, certainly so. The, the problem is, though, Tom, unfortunately, when when there's a shock like this was, people often say, well, that's because the traditional big sides were a bit of a disappointment that season. How did Leicester do it? Was it because other sides failed? Or actually, were they just the better team that season overall? Uh, I think it was a bit of, bit of both, probably. Um, I mean, they, they were outstanding that year. Um, and it's, it's just an incredible story. At the same time, you know, United were, were still drifting and drifting. It was, it was Chelsea's big capitulation under Mourinho where they were in the, in the relegation zone. We all knew at City that Pellegrini was on his way out and, and Guardiola was on the way in and uh, Liverpool Klopp's you know Klopp was what a, a year into his work then um and it, it was far from far from finished so I think it was a little bit a little bit of both it was opportunism and 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 really you know Tottenham Tottenham look back on that year and feel they should have done it um and they probably should have done do you think we'll ever see a similar story in the Premier League again Henry Oh, do you think we'll see football? I mean, you've got to ask that <laughs> at the moment. Fair enough. Um, yes. So you know, let's let's go step by step. Let's get let's get football back. Let's get fans back, and then let's get fairy tales back. Yeah, I absolutely, I can see it again because that's the joy of football. No one, you know, I mean, I've got friends who work for a local paper who who were writing books. You know, the five thousand to one miracle, and you see them now, and they still can't believe it. But why can't? That? And that's the, the the beauty of sports, and the reason why we follow it: the tales of the unexpected. That that can happen. It can happen again. I think it will be more difficult now because, as Tom so eloquently um, proven, there was a sort of slight gap. Arsenal will be kicking themselves. Tottenham, the meltdown at, uh, at Chelsea, you know, Liverpool and, and Manchester City and Manchester United were different parts of, of their development. So it was the perfect storm that helped Leicester City. But, you know, it might happen again. Why not? Look at Sheffield United this season. Why can't they kick on again next season, whenever the next season is? So for you, Tom, if you have to think of all your underdog stories in football, is this the one? Is this the greatest that you've ever known of? I, I think, it, yeah, I think it is. Um, I mean, in, in terms of underdog stories, the Greece in 2004 kind of comes to mind. Um, I mean, who would have predicted that at the beginning of the tournament when you've got Ronaldo's Portugal and, and France with Zidane, Henri, Makalele, Vieira and, he, and even, you know, uh, England as well. With What a team that was with really Owen Gerrard, Lampard. And I think the problem, though, is that, that the model of the Premier League, um, it often, the pyramid often ends up the way you predict because of the way money is invested and, and the wages and transfers that clubs can, can afford. Um, I mean, that was the year that City um, bought Sterling. Uh, De Bruyne came from from Wolfsburg. I think Liverpool spent £30 million on Benteke that year. Um, so it, it just totally went against the odds. Um, so, so, yeah, absolutely, it, it's the greatest underdog story. Is that the same for you, Henry? I mean, I would definitely look at Wimbledon in the cup when they won that against Liverpool. That was an extraordinary story. I mean, look, Wimbledon were having a good league season at the time. Uh, I, I, I think that, but obviously cup's different. That to actually sustain something like Leicester did over the, the, the league over the whole season was phenomenal. So, yeah, I think it would be the number one. OK, before we end, we need to get both Henry and Tom involved in our new feature on this podcast called The Unpopular Football Opinions. It all started when podcast regular Jonathan Northcroft claimed that England have overachieved as a football team because their players have never actually been that good. His fellow Scotsman Gregor Robertson then twisted
did the knife by adding that England haven't produced a top manager since Sir Bobby Robson. So you can see that I was very ganged up on by those naughty Scotsmen. But I also got involved by calling out entitled football fans who think that just because their club has a history of winning trophies and even a large fan base, they belong in the top flight. That was a, a sample then of our unpopular opinions. And thankfully, it's a far less tartan feel to today's podcast. But before we get on to your own opinions, what did you make of those three unpopular football opinions I've just, I've just uh, mentioned there, Henry? Do you agree with any of them? Well, I mean, the, the, the point about England never having had a top team is nonsense. I think if you look at it... <laughs> No, but seriously, I mean, you just look at dispassionately. Um, you just look at 1966 and you look at 1970. Yes. So I think for that period, England were the best team in the world. Clearly, won the, the, the World Cup. Okay, so it was, at, it was on uh, home ground. But you just look at the players in that. I mean, these, these are phenomenal players who were contesting Ballon d'Ors. I mean, Sir Bobby Charlton won the Ballon d'Or and was runner-up the following two years. So that shows a, you know, a period of sustained excellence. In terms of, you look at the other players in that team, I mean, if, you can't, if you're saying that they weren't a great team, that, the whole point about 66 is that they were a fantastic team. They were 11 players, you know, 12 players, obviously, with Greaves, Greaves earlier, and they really bonded. They were good players who became a great team. 1970, as everyone says, I think, obviously I wasn't there. I was, I was quite young at the time. 1970, they had, to, they had arguably a better squad. So I, th- I think that's just nonsense. Okay, so Jonathan Northcroft, that's well, that is an unpopular opinion from him. Tom, did any of the ones I've just mentioned stand out for you? Well, I'd, I'd like to see Johnny's mentions on Twitter uh, since last <laughs> yes. week. We did advise him to steer clear. <laughs> the mute button would have been come in handy, uh, I'm sure. I mean, I to be honest, actually watching um, the, the on television, what I've actually enjoyed in during lockdown is watching the the not not massively retro games, but even sort of ten, fifteen years ago and being reminded of of the quality of, of the that England side and and the how much potential was actually there and how poorly it was used. Um I think there was there was a lot more they were much better than um and could have done so much more than they did. Um and we all know why why you were picking on Leeds now, don't we? <gasps> No, I made a point of saying it wasn't an anti-Leeds thing, but it I did use them as, a, as an example, but it wasn't an anti-Leeds uh, opinion, that's for sure. But obviously, we've got to get to both of your unpopular football opinions. Let me just give you this bit of advice. Make sure they aren't too safe, as our referee Tom Clark from The Times is listening and has already called Gregor Robertson out for his so-called unpopular opinion that the championship is more entertaining than the Premier League. That might have something to do with the fact that Tom Clark is a fan of Lincoln, so may have a bias towards the EFL. But I did agree with Gregor as well, so maybe not that unpopular. So, Tom, should we start with you? What's your unpopular opinion in football? I'm going to go with... There's nothing wrong with half and half scarves. Oh. In fact, I actually quite like them. Um, I think they they mark an occasion. I think I think they look great outside grounds. Um, and I think I've got I've got friends. I'm based down in the south, and I've got friends who are fans of clubs up north, and they don't they don't get to go to. And the reason they're fans of clubs up north is is because of their their parents, and they don't get to go to to as many games as they'd like to. So um, I think for those those people, um, those scarves are great. Uh, and yes, I'll be turning off my mentions too. Uh, 
do you do you have any half and half scarves tom i don't actually i say that but i don't i don't have any ah <laughs> oh, henry is there a place for half and half scarves uh, yeah there is a place for half and half uh, scarves it's in the recycling bin <laughs> The whole point, I have, to, I have many reasons for loathing them, particularly when I saw an England-Germany half-and-half scarf. Oh, no, but, that's but the real reason I loathe them is because, as everyone says, they're for tourists. Now, if you want to go to a game and you want a souvenir of a game, buy a programme. Because if you buy a programme, first the money goes into the club and also it gives a chance for young journalists because that's where quite a few journalists have started out, doing small pieces for the local programme. So... If you're into half and half scarves, you can't be into journalism. Oh, Tom! <laughs> oh my goodness! On the Times podcast, you have been outed as a terrible journalist, basically. <laughs> Tom's a really good journalist. Oh, yes. I understand why he's gone half and half scarves, but I do think they are. If I often go into ground slightly mischievously and just take a picture of a half and half scarf and and post it, and all I get back is uh, people doing the vomit emoji. <laughs> That's why it's an unpopular opinion. It It certainly is, and I think Tom Clark will be happy with you, Tom. (laughs) Um, Henry, go on then. Wembley. I think it's a waste of money. I don't think we needed to build it. We don't need a national home for football. We need a national football centre, which cost a fifth of Wembley at St George's Park. It's absolutely important, which is where it's developing players and coaches. But... um, we don't need a national stadium. We've got a fantastic stadium all over the countries where we could play games. So it's, I find it fairly soulless. I just, I just don't see the point of it. I was oh. so pleased when the FA almost sold it because they could have well, used the money to ask and you that. into grassroots. They almost sold it. They should have done. And they rather naively gave the vote to the, um, to the FA council, to the sort of effectively the counties and the shires, and they loved their days out at Wembley when they could have used that money to pour into grassroots football. And maybe we wouldn't be staring quite so deeply into the abyss as we are at the moment. Mm. I mean, I do like the idea of an England roadshow, so taking it around the country. Um, Tom, what do you think? Is, is, is Wembley not needed? I completely agree with, with both of you oh. on the, the idea of seeing, um, seeing England playing around the country. Um, I think it's good to have it's good to have the home um, home football and uh, and I like you know see seeing different events there. It's it, it's a great it's a great place and it, it's it's an impressive place. But I I do actually agree with Henry on the the soulless fact. I don't feel I don't feel like it's a, it's much of a fortress um, for any you know countries coming to play England. Come Is on, that Tom, because... tell us have you got a Wembley Twickenham half and half scarf? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness! That's the next it's thing actually... you come up with. <laughs> but but Henry, do you do you base um, your opinion on on the new Wembley because maybe you look nostalgically back at the old Wembley? No, I did. I hated the old Wembley. Oh really? I, I, it was yeah. I mean, some of the staff there were. I mean, they, they, they were notorious. I mean, people you know, cricket people sort of talk about you know the old gate and the, 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 whatever it was the Grace Gates at Lords, but they weren't a patch on the, on Wembley. Wembley, the you know the the pitch wasn't as great as everyone said. Obviously, there was the horse of the year show. Look, it had the history and all that, but we have got an amazing array of uh, stadia in this country where you could hold games. And the moment they moved semi-finals to Wembley, away from Villa Park or traffic places like that, you know the FA Cup took a hit. So I know loads of people love Wembley. I know they love going there. I know they love getting their half and half scarves outside, but. <laughs> The England national team belongs in the north, it belongs in the south, it belongs all over. It doesn't belong uh, on a pitch attached to a car parking lot in northwest London. 
But what about, just finally then, you've mentioned a little bit about the FA Cup and, and the League Cup. Do they belong at Wembley? You know, we, we, we're talking about money filtering into the game. Let's play it elsewhere. You know, we often have this sort of ridiculous thing, particularly when they've moved the FA Cup final to uh, early evening, that if you've got two clubs from the north, how are they going to get back? I think it's offensive to, to, towards fans. Um, I really enjoyed having the final in Cardiff. Cardiff is a ground, the Millennium, which is built with fans in mind. It's close to the pitch. It's got a fantastic atmosphere, five times the atmosphere of Wembley. So, look, I know it's an unpopular opinion. I know many people love Wembley, but for me, it is just, it's a white elephant. Do you know what? I think both of you are going to be in the good books for Tom Clark. I think he's going to like your unpopular opinions. And that is it for now. Many thanks to Tom and to Henry as well. You may find yourself with more time on your hands in the coming weeks. So do remember you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's only a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search the Times subscription for more information. And we will be back with you on Monday for the very latest game podcast. Stay safe in the meantime. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer it streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy mail checks invoices legal documents and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.